The scripture for this morning's sermon will be found in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Let's pray. Ask God for his help this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your kind grace in calling me to yourself almost 31 years ago now. I thank you for your kind grace in training me and sending me to Elk River, Minnesota to be the under-shepherd of Glory of Christ Fellowship. But here's the truth of the matter. You are the shepherd of this flock. You are the voice that speaks to your people. You are the heart that is guiding your people. You are the faithful one who will lead your people all the way to the end. And I pray, O oh great shepherd of the sheep, that you would rise up this morning and reveal yourself to be exactly who you are. And I pray, Lord, that as we see the deep roots of the things that you said in John 10, and as we grapple with the things that you did say, I pray that our hearts would be prone to want to follow our shepherd Lord, I pray for us that we would not only see you, but that we would be attracted to you, that we would follow you all the days of our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, do this work through the Holy Spirit and as we put our faith in you. And I just want to thank you for what you'll do, Lord. I want to thank you for drawing us not just back into the distant past, but to make us live a more vibrant presence. So please come now, great shepherd of the sheep, and show us who you are. And we thank you, Father, for what you will do in Jesus' great name. Amen. Several months ago, during one of our community group meetings, Ethan Larson and I got into a discussion about the Gospel of John and the teachings of Jesus and all of that. And I said to him at some point along the way that I'm on a sort of quest to find in Jesus' teachings anything that's new. And so far, no matter how hard I've tried, no matter how long I've looked, I have not succeeded in that endeavor because I don't think there is anything new in Jesus' teachings. Everything that you hear that Jesus says, everything you see that he teaches has deep, deep roots. It has ancient, ancient roots. 
in the purposes, the plans, the promises of God that were fashioned before the beginning of the world and that were revealed then through Moses, through the prophets, and through the poets. Jesus did not come into the world to be novel. He came into the world to be faithful, beloved. Jesus did not come into the world to tell us new things. He came, us, came into the world to wake us up to ancient things, beautiful things, life-giving things, things that God has been saying and saying and saying and saying and saying. He's trying to bring us into the beauty of who God is, who God was, who God will always be. There's no need for him to be novel because he is from forever to forever. He is eternally ancient. So last week, we pondered the shepherd, uh, the parable of the good shepherd in John 10, 1 through 18. We took the story through verse 21, but the parable itself ends in verse 18. And there we saw that Jesus was primarily speaking to the Pharisees, if you'll remember that. Others were overhearing. The, the man he had healed was there. His disciples were there. Some crowd surely was there, but primarily Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in the hearing of other people. And as he told them this parable, he not so subtly identified them with thieves and robbers and hired hands. Not every Pharisee was like this, but the main controlling, the most powerful Pharisees were like this. They were appearing to be shepherds of God, taking care of the flock. But the truth of the matter is that they were thieves, they were robbers, and they were hired hands. They were there to use the people for their own purposes rather than to serve the people for the glory of God. And Jesus knew this. Boldly, lovingly, he was talking to them about this. And what I want us to understand, I, I want us to remember he's talking to these people because today what we're gonna do is go back and look at the roots of the things that Jesus said. He rooted this parable in things so deep, so ancient that these leaders should have known what he was talking about. He, he did not just gather some random crowd of people out in a field. He was talking to people who had been raised from small children to become who they actually did become. Pharisees, it's not a job you signed up for, beloved. There was no application process to become a Pharisee. You were born into these kind of things. You were trained up into these kind of things from the time you were small. And the brightest of the brightest of the brightest ended up being leaders of the nation of Israel. What I'm saying is from before these men had memories, they were already being exposed to the words of God. They should have heard the deep roots of Jesus' teachings. They should have known that he was not just making up the things that he was saying. They should have been able to discern who he was. They should have been able to discern who they were in the parable. They should have bowed their lives before Jesus rather than taking up stones to, to kill Jesus. Now the Bible is replete with the language of shepherds and sheep and all of that. They lived in an agricultural society and so that's not surprising to us. But there are three particular texts that lie behind the parable of the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and I wanna look at all of them with you today. The first one is Numbers 27 verses 15 through 17. The second one is Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 23 verses one through eight. And the third one is Ezekiel 34, the whole chapter, verses one through 31. And we're gonna look at all of this today. And so will you turn with me to Numbers 27. Just look at verses 15, 16, and 17. And again, I want us to see the deep roots of the things that Jesus had to say. He was not making the things up that he said in this parable. About 1,400 years before Jesus walked this earth, Moses began to approach the time when he knew he was gonna breathe his last and Israel was gonna need another leader. Moses, beloved, suffered at the hands of Israel, did he not? 
It was not easy being Moses, that's for sure. Some people think they want to be called into spiritual leadership. I beg you to meditate carefully on the life of a man named Moses and and others like him. It was not easy for him. But he was a faithful shepherd, primarily faithful to God and then faithful to the very people that made his life so difficult. And when he knew that his time was getting short, he began to long for another leader to rise up and lead God's people. He was a, a responsible man. He wasn't just looking for his exit strategy, you see? He was a faithful shepherd, not a hired hand. He wasn't just looking for the way out, and he wanted God's people to be well cared for, and so he prayed this prayer in Numbers 27. And if you look at, with me, we'll read verses 15 through 18. I said 17, but I meant 15 through 18. Moses drew near to the Lord and asked, Let the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Notice here, beloved, that Moses uses the language of sheep and shepherds in his prayer before the Lord. Notice that Moses, in his mind, has the idea of God's people and, and, and their leaders. And notice that he specifically asks for one who will go out before the people, who will come in before the people, and who will lead them in the way that they should go. I point these things out because Jesus used these very words in his parable, and it wasn't an accident. When Jesus talked about the good shepherd who leads the people out, leads them in, feeds them in the pasture of God, and brings them into the pen of God where they can be safe at night. Again, he was not just drawing on the general culture and trying to say things that made sense to the people. He was drawing on the scripture itself. And he was saying to people who should have known this text like the back of their hand, he was saying to them, I'm that one. I'm that one. We've talked before in our series on John about Deuteronomy 17, where Moses also said, there's coming another one after me. There's a a prophet who's going to rise up after me. He'll be greater than me. Follow that one. Follow that one. And all along, Jesus has been subtly showing that he's that one. Well, this text as well was famous among the Jews. They looked to this text and said, Joshua, yes, he was a partial fulfillment, but there's a greater shepherd coming. And beloved, Jesus was speaking to Pharisees who should have known these things, who should have heard his words, and been able to discern exactly what he was claiming about himself and what he was claiming about them. Now, you may object as you read this and say, well, this is not fulfilled in Jesus. Look, right in verse 18, it shows you who it's fulfilled in. This is fulfilled in Joshua, the son of Nun. By the way, not spelled N-O-N-E, right? The son of Nun. That wouldn't be so good. A little humor this morning. You can laugh. It's okay. Joshua, the son of N-U-N, Nun. And I would say, true enough, true enough. God's short-term answer was, Moses, here's a man, Joshua, the son of Nun. He will lead the people of Israel into the promised land. But it is a well-established fact that Joshua, this Joshua, is a living prophecy of Jesus, the Joshua who was to come. Just as Joshua led God's people into the promised land, so Jesus would later come and lead all of God's people around the earth into the eternal promised land. There are many, many texts in Scripture that we could look at that would establish this link. Not to mention that Jesus is named after this guy. In Hebrew, the word Joshua, the name Joshua is Yeshua, 
And in Hebrew, the name Jesus is also Yeshua. Jesus took his name because he is, a, he is the greater Joshua. He's the one who's going to come and lead. So yes, Joshua the son of Nun is the short-term fulfillment of Moses' prayer. Jesus Christ the son of God is the long-term fulfillment. And what I'm trying to get us to understand is that the Pharisees knew a text like this and knew that they were waiting for another shepherd to come. Why did they not understand what Jesus was saying? That's a really important question. And it's one that I'm going to wait to answer until next week because next week Jesus gives them a direct answer as to why they're not hearing what he's saying. But for now, I just want us to understand again, he's not making this stuff up, beloved. Jesus' brain was saturated with the words and the will of God. And he spoke from out of that place. And people who were supposed to be shepherds over his people should have known better. And by the way, I think another reason that he's drawing on the scripture is not just to rebuke them and to straighten them out, but to woo them into his fold. He's trying to say, brothers, you're going in the wrong way. You're acting like the wrong kind of shepherds. And what I want to do is draw you back to the words that you value so that you'll repent. And we do see in Acts chapter 6 that some of these guys did repent. So again, I've been trying to point this out all the way through, John, but I want to point it out again. Jesus is both rebuking and drawing these people toward him. He is both against what they're doing and he is for them in a certain kind of way. Now with that, please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm going to look just at verses 1 through 8. This now comes eight centuries after Moses' prayer, when God's people were right on the edge of receiving the fierce discipline of the Lord and being sent into exile because they simply refused to follow their shepherd. They would not listen to God. And Jeremiah is one of those texts, by the way, for people who say that God is not gracious in the Old Testament, I challenge you, read the book of Jeremiah carefully and pay attention to how much time is passing by. There are all kinds of time markers in the book of Jeremiah. God is being so enormously patient with his people. But now, literally, centuries have gone by. They will not listen And he's come to the point where he said, enough is enough. You're going into exile. Deal with it. And there's nothing you can do to stop this now. There is nothing you can do. It reminds me of that proverb that that we looked at this morning. The one who is often rebuked but stiffens his neck and will not listen. There's going to come a day, because God loves us, where that person is going to be broken beyond repair. There's going to be a point of no return. And Israel had essentially reached that point. God had had enough. And rightly so, rightly so. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 23 when God puts words in the prophet's mouth that both speak a rebuke and also words of incredible hope and incredible promise. The Lord begins with the word of condemnation and judgment on false shepherds. So look with me at verse one. Woe to the shepherds who destroy. That word sound familiar? Woe to the shepherds who destroy and who scatter the sheep of my pasture, the very things Jesus was talking about, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Beloved, the idea of false shepherds who act, in fact, as thieves, robbers, and hired hands as people who devour the flock and scatter the flock, was not new with Jesus. Rather, it's an idea that he picked up out of the words of the prophet. 
Because we find out in 1 Peter, by the way, that Jesus himself is the one who inspired the prophet. He's just going back to things that he had said centuries and centuries earlier, and now he's speaking to people in his own time as though he's holding up a mirror and saying, brothers, look at yourselves. You have become the false shepherds of Jeremiah 23. How long, O my people, will it take for you to listen to me? And then the Lord continues, though, in a tremendous act of grace by making promises in verses three through four. Then he said, if you're, by the way, if you were to write the next sentence, what would you say? Oh, you false shepherds, you're, you're scattering my flock, you're devouring them, then what? What would you say next? See the gracious heart of your father. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will actually care for them, and they, the sheep, shall, have no, shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. So Jesus said in John 10, 16, that he was going to go and gather other sheep from multiple countries. Did he not? He didn't use those exact words, but he said he's going to go to, to, he had sheep that are not of this fold. He's going to go gather them and bring them into one flock. He's talking about his people scattered among the nations. He was not making up the things he said in verse 16. He was drawing out of the promise of Jeremiah 23. Then, in his grace, he was going to set under shepherds over his people, like Pastor Kevin and myself. These people are not going to be perfect people, but they're going to be people who have a genuine care for the flock. They're going to be a people who know the one true shepherd himself, who have his spirit inside of them, and therefore who are willing to give their lives to serve people for the glory of God, rather than to use people to satisfy their own desires. This, beloved, is a new covenant promise from Jesus to us. This is what he, he says to shepherds he's rebuking. In light of what you've done, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and do for you what you can never do for yourselves. Centuries and centuries of time. I have tried to persuade you, O shepherds, to shepherd my people well, but now I'm going to come and I'm going to do this. I am going to show the faithfulness of God for all to see. As gracious as that is, beloved, we need to understand that his, his promise of under-shepherds comes in a very particular way. So if you'll please look with me at verses 5 through 8. Now look what Jeremiah has to say. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and all Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, but they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Or if we can put that last sentence in the language of John 10, 16, I'm going to gather my people together into one fold and there shall be one flock with one 
shepherd. Again, beloved, Jesus was not making these things up. These words were spoken more than 600 years before he walked the earth and he was drawing upon them. I hope that we can see that his words are deeply rooted words and not just novel words. He was drawing upon them to look at people who should have understood them to say, I am that one. I came as the fulfillment of these things. You all are acting like fools. You all are acting like false shepherds. And if the Pharisees had had any humility in their hearts at all, they would have been able, to, at least the leading Pharisees that we're talking about, they would have been able, if nothing else, through a process, to think about the things that Jesus was saying, to carefully consider them, and to understand that he was in fact the one that he claimed to be. It is not a small thing to stand up in any place and say, I am. I am God in the flesh. I've come to fulfill all these promises. That is not a small thing. But I want us to understand that Jesus opened himself up to being tested by the word of God again and again and again and again. But the shepherds of Israel would not. You know why? Because they, in fact, did not live by the word of God. Say whatever they wanted to say. They did not live by the word and will and wisdom of God. If they did, their instinct would have been to test Jesus by the things he was saying and that by the word of God itself. They would have done that. And in that, they would have seen uh-oh, we really are acting like fools. Oh no. Whether we deliberately did this or not, whether we chose to be bad shepherds or not, we have become bad shepherds. And rather than picking up stones to kill Jesus, they would have fallen to their knees and say, please forgive us. Please be merciful to us. Please be gracious to us. That should have been their response, beloved. And I believe that Jesus, again, in going back to deep things to say the things he was saying, was both condemning these people for what they should have known, but also rebuking them so as to invite them back in. He's trying to help them to see well and to repent deeply. You remember it says in Hebrews chapter four that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It pierces deep to the soul and to the marrow. And if you look at the context of Hebrews chapter four, he's talking about a specific passage of scripture he had just interpreted. He's talking about what was already revealed in the Old Testament. And then he's saying to his Jewish Christian hearers, listen, this word is being exposed to you to open you up to the depth of your soul so that you will be seen before God, so that you will see yourselves before God, and so that you'll repent. That's Jesus' heart. His sword is a sword indeed, but it's a life-giving sword for those who will humble themselves before him. So finally with that, let's go now to Ezekiel 34. This is a long text, but I want to look at the whole thing. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 31. A very powerful text. Probably the most important shepherding prophetic text in the Old Testament. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. Most likely they knew each other. They were prophesying very similar things uh, to very similar people. And they also had very similar results. Not many people would listen to them. In fact, one of the most encouraging things to me about the book of Ezekiel as a pastor is in the beginning, the Lord basically says to Ezekiel, listen, son, I got good news and I got bad news for you. Here's good news. I'm not going to send you to the nations. I'm not going to make you go away to a people you don't know. And Ezekiel's like, thank God for that. And then he says, here's the bad news, son. Nobody's going to listen to anything you have to say. <laughs> he says to Ezekiel, he says, their heads are hard and I'm going to make your head harder. 
And all he meant was, I'm going to make you a persevering prophet, and you're going to be faithful to my words till your dying day, and I'm going to use every single word you say because I'm faithful to you. And look at us. Look at us here. We're 2,600 years after Ezekiel trusted the Lord and prophesied, and we're still talking about the things that God said through this man. God was faithful to him. And one of the things God used Ezekiel to do was to give Ezekiel chapter 34. It was piercing in his day. It was also piercing in Jesus' day. So let's begin by looking at the first four verses. There are six specific things, accusations, that God makes against the shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, the powerful people, the so-called spiritual people, even to them, say this, Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. To us, that's gross, but in their day, the fat was the best part. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So I think we could summarize the Lord's indictment over the shepherds like this, shepherds of Israel. You have lived for yourselves, and you have used the sheep for your own purposes, rather than laying your lives down for the sheep for the glory of of God. And sadly, some six centuries later, that was still the case. By and large, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were still living as thieves, as robbers, and as hired hands. Unfortunately, they wouldn't have put it this way. There was no mission statement that said this anywhere. But the actual effect of their leadership was that they stole, they killed, and they destroyed rather than protecting and healing and prospering. And such a way of life, beloved, is not without its effects. And so look now at verses 5 and 6 to see the kind of effects that this way of life has. So they, the people of Israel, who we're talking about millions of people, they were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep, says the Lord, were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them or to seek them. This is precisely what Jesus said happens when hired hands see trouble coming and then they forsake the flock. When Jesus said that, he was not inventing a metaphor. Rather, he was drawing upon Ezekiel's ancient word to pique the interest of those to whom he was speaking. But sadly, like their ancient counterparts, they did not have hearts to listen to him. They did not have ears to hear him and wills to obey him. And therefore, the Lord pronounced his judgment over the shepherds in verses 7 and 10. Imagine that you're one of these people. Imagine receiving a sentence like this from the Lord. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, words I never want to hear. 
And I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. Isn't that sad? I will rescue my sheep from their own shepherds, that they may not be food for them. These were very harsh words to very powerful people. You know, to us, we read these things in Ezekiel, and they're just words. I don't know what we all are thinking about them right now. But for Ezekiel, these were deadly words. He was not talking to, again, some gathering of people he put together on a street corner somewhere. He's talking to the most powerful people in his nation. And he's confronting them with the truth of the word of God, with boldness and with humility. And his life certainly was on the line. But then he continued in verses 11 through 16. And please, as I read, I'm not going to stop to point them all out, but just think about the parable in John 10 and notice all the links that are here. So let's look now at verses 11 to 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The Lord's amazing solution to the problem of false shepherds, beloved, is to become the shepherd of his own people himself. This reminds me very much of the time that we spent in Hebrews. You remember we contrasted the old covenant and the new covenant like this? The old covenant, we said, was the covenant of we will do it, the people say to God. Three times the people said to God, all that the Lord has said, we will do it, we will do it, we will do it. But they failed, they failed, and they failed. And so in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, the Lord came along and said, no, we're going to push aside the we will do it covenant, and we're going to establish a new kind of covenant that's, just, that's marked by the words, I will do it for you, declares the Lord. Well, this is very much similar. The shepherds of Israel had failed and failed and failed. They would not do it. And so finally, the Lord replaces that whole plan with another one. I myself will be the shepherd over my own sheep. And so, beloved, when Jesus came along and said two times, two times, I am the good shepherd, he said a couple more things, and he came back and said it again. I am, invoking the name Yahweh, I am the good shepherd. He was not simply identifying himself with a part of a parable, He's saying, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. I have come to lead my own people and lead them I will. Now for those of you who have been enjoying watching the shepherds getting raked over the coals, 
the Lord has a word for you too. It's one reason I love Ezekiel 34 is because now at this point he turns to the sheep and he has some things to say to the sheep. And so I pray that you will humble your hearts and hear what the Lord has to say to you now. Verses 17 through 19. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep as well, between rams and male goats. It is, is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Now probably none of that makes any sense to us. I don't know if there's any shepherds in this congregation. But the bottom line is they're saying you're just clamoring and clamoring and clamoring after yourself and you could care less what happens to the next guy. And we're talking about God's very people here. We're not talking about outsiders. We're talking about how we're treating one another here. In your quest to be all about yourself in the house of God, you're trampling other sheep. It isn't just the shepherds that are the problem. The sheep are the problem too. The sheep are the problem too. But with that, the Lord goes on to make some astonishing things. Uh, astonishing promises, irreversible promises. And again, it just amazes me how God will rebuke and then lavish grace upon people. So now listen to verses 20 through 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, to the sheep, to his people, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, then what will I do? I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and and then what will I do? I will set up over them one shepherd. Remember this, one flock, one shepherd. That language is not coming out of nowhere, beloved. It's coming out of Ezekiel. I will set over my flock one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now clearly David had already lived and died by this time, so who is he talking about? He's clearly talking about Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the Davidic promises. From 2 Samuel chapter 7 on, there's been these pointers that, these pointers that someone in the line of David is coming. Someone will rise up over the, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise, and he will lead all of God's people forever and ever. He is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who would come to be the one shepherd over the one flock of God. And so now let's look finally at the final verses, 25 through 31. Because of all that, I will make a covenant of peace. And I will banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their seasons. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no more be prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. No one shall make my sheep afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, 
so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. And you are my sheep, the human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. Now, in John 10, I just mentioned two times, but in John 10, Jesus actually uses the term I am four times. He says, I am the door, I am the door. Then he says, I am the shepherd, I am the, the, the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd. And you all know well by now that those words I am are a signifier saying I am Yahweh, the ancient name of God, I am him. So I want to reread the last two verses of Ezekiel 34 with you and, and interpret it in a little slightly different way so that you can see that when Jesus said I am, I am, I am, I am, he was actually drawing on the words of this text. Verse 30, and they shall know that I am the Lord. In Hebrew, that is the name Yahweh. They shall know that I am the I am. Their God who is with them. Jesus literally standing in their midst, revealing himself as the I am. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord, and you are my sheep, the human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Now look at your Bibles at that word God. Do you notice that it's either in all caps or it's in small caps? That's because that word there is Yahweh. And they couldn't translate it Lord, Lord. So in Hebrew this would be, I am the Adonai Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. And in English we, it would sound weird to say, I am the Lord, Lord. So they say, I am the Lord God. But he's saying, I am the Lord, I am. And beloved, I'm telling you, Jesus was not simply standing in a field somewhere on some corner randomly claiming to be things. He said, I am, I am, I am, I am, four times to say, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. And Pharisees, you should know this. I mean, think about it. If you're being raised as a shepherd of Israel in the days of the Pharisees, don't you think that one of your main lessons ought to be Ezekiel 34? Don't you think that you ought to be looking to the past of what shepherds did wrong and what God promised to do? Don't you think that this kind of training should, should saturate your brain? And don't you think that you should be longing for this great shepherd to come and be the minister over his flock? They should have known, beloved. They really should have known. But their hearts were hard. Their hearts were very hard. In John 10, we see at the very end, after Jesus finished his words, that the people were divided. We looked at this last week. Some of the people actually looked at Jesus, the fulfillment of all the great promises of God, and said, this guy has a demon inside of him. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? This guy's crazy. He's literally insane, some of them said. Others said, there's no way this guy's demonized. There's no way he's insane. A person who's insane can't heal blind people, born blind from birth. They can't do that. Insane people don't say the kinds of things that he's saying. There, there's something to what he's saying. And there's a division among the people, beloved. And they can't decide who he was. And I will tell you again, the primary reason they could not decide who Jesus was is because no matter what their public language, they did not live by the words of God. Jesus, in speaking the parable of John 10, was trying to give them massive clues to say, look backwards, not forwards, to figure out who I am. Look deep into the words of God and you will see who I am. But they refuse to look. People who give lip service to God's words but pay no attention to God's words are doomed to stray away from God. And this is what was happening with the Pharisees. And Jesus is lovingly rebuking them, lovingly drawing them at the same exact time. 
Now, the days of the Pharisees are obviously long gone. But I wanted to take the time today to press into these things with you so that we would better understand the gospel of John, so that we would better understand the ministry of Jesus, the thinking of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the way that he went about the things that he went about. But I also wanted us to do these things so that we would have a better understanding of who Jesus actually is. You know, in the book of Hebrews, the, the, the author tells us a lot about Jesus as a high priest. He goes on and on about it. It's the most lengthy text in the whole Bible about Jesus as a high priest. And when he's done saying the things he has to say, then he says, now the point of what we're saying is this, which is really helpful when a Bible author says, now here's the point, because then we know what the point is. We have such a priest. That was his point. He said, I'm not just talking. These are not just uh, biblical ideas. These are not just metaphors. These are not just theological musings. There actually exists such a high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to say the same thing today, except use the words good shepherd. He is this good shepherd to us. He is the one that came to fulfill Moses' prayer, that came to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy, that came to fulfill Ezekiel's prophecy. He exists in the world today as the one shepherd over the one flock of God in every single nation on this earth. And the question then for us is what will we do with that? What will we do about that? Because here's the thing about Jesus as a, a good shepherd. Any good shepherd comes not just to occupy the position, but to actually play the role. Isn't that right? People, if you think even in your business life, there's people who just want the role. They just want the power. There's other people, though, who they want to do the activity. They can take the role or leave the role. They're not so concerned about the title. They want to do the activity. But if they get that title, they're going to do the job. And that's what good shepherds do. Good shepherds do the job of shepherding. He wants to actually lead us. He doesn't want us to just sit in this room to, today and say, yeah, that's great, he's the good shepherd, I agree. And then on we go with our lives. No, he's saying, I've revealed myself to you today for what I am, and now I want you to follow me. I'm the one you can trust. I am the one who fulfilled ancient prophecies. I am the one who's kept every word I've ever spoken. You can trust me, so now come and follow me. And if I could draw with three broad brushstrokes every way in which Jesus wants us to lead, this is what I would say. All he wanted from us, wants from us and has ever wanted from us is that first of all, we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. That is the singular key to life. Put God first. Love God above everything. With your schedule, with your affections, your time, your treasure, your talent, your energy, put God first. Love him First, I promise you, the one good shepherd in this room today, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to lead us in that way more than he wants anything in this life. Put God first. Everything else will fall in place. The second thing he would say to us is love one another. And I know this, I'm confident about this because he's already said it to us multiple times. Sheep, treat one another well with the grace that you have received from your Father. That's how to hear it. Stop looking at each other and nitpicking on each other and trampling over each other. Look up. Look up. See the amazing, amazing grace that's been poured out upon you and then live graciously toward each other. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Be tender with each other, the Bible says. Exhort one another. Teach one another. Greet one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Love each other in the way that the Father has loved us. Jesus wants this for us. He wants us to be one flock with one shepherd, where the culture of the Trinity is the culture of the flock as well. Just amazing. 
And then the third thing he clearly tells us is go to the nation. John 10, 16, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold. I gotta go get them. And in his grace, he invites us to join in with him, which is amazing to me. It amazes me that Jesus not only saves, not only heals, he not only forgives, but he actually puts us on his team and gives every sheep a starting position on his team. Every sheep. Different roles, different gifts, but we all have a starting position. Love God, love one another, and love the lost and the least of these in this world. Beloved, life reduces to those things. It really does. Life is not easy, but I, will, I have said to you many times, and I will always say to you, life is simple. God has made it simple. Love God, love one another, love the lost. And I would promise you that outside of physical ailments and things like that that we struggle with, Every single problem we have in our lives boils down to this. We are violating God's desire for us in one or more of those three areas. Or other people are violating God's desires in one or more of those three areas and we're paying the consequence for that. But we can't control what other people can do, can we? I mean, that's just not in our control. Even people inside of our own family, we can't control them. What we can control is this, that we will decide today to look to our one shepherd and follow him. That we will listen to him when he says, put me above everything else. Believe me, it's going to be best for you. We're going to listen to him when he says, love one another. And maybe even right now, he's drawing specific things and situations to your minds right now where you need to learn to love one another. Or he just wants to be fuel on your fire for loving inside the flock. Or maybe right now, you're hearing his voice draw you to go out to the lost and the least of these, to preach the gospel in your neighborhoods, or maybe even among the nations. I don't know. But what I do know is that he came to reveal himself today to actually lead us today. And that's what I pray would happen. I pray that the the power of John 10 in the life of glory of Christ fellowship is this, that we would follow our shepherd into the pasture of God and into the pen of God, where we're fed well and where we're kept safe. So let me pray now that God will help us do that and then we'll sing our final song. Lord, I thank you that your deep, deep love for your flock is rooted in the deep, deep will and ways of your heart and your deep and ancient words. And I pray that you would teach us now to put our deep, deep trust into you and into you alone. I pray, Lord, that like a shepherd, you would come and lead us now. And I pray, Lord, that even in these moments as we sing, that you would reveal yourself to your people now. I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to things that we have yet to see, or reopen them to things that we've already seen. I pray, Father, for those who are resistant to you right now. I ask you in your grace to soften us. I pray, Father, for those of us who are just hurting and we don't know how to follow right now. We're just confused. We just don't know which way is up and down. I pray that you would graciously put your hand upon those people, Lord. I pray that you would issue healing power in this room, even right now, so that your people could look to you again and follow you again. And Father, I pray for those sheep of yours who are eagerly following you in the way that they should go. Oh Lord, let today be a day of celebration. And let today be a day where fuel is added to the fire, where wind is added to the sails. But Lord, whatever your desire is among this little flock, I pray that you'd come now. And Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.